Hello, welcome to this Diocese of Lansing podcast. I'm David Kerr, Director of Communications for the Diocese of Lansing. You know, the late 19th, early 20th century French writer Leon Bloy once famously said that the only real tragedy in life is that we're not all becoming saints. Is that true? And if so, why? And if so, how do we become saints? Well, they're just two of the questions I put to the popular Catholic writer and speaker, Matthew Leonard, who recently led a retreat for the Diocese of Lansing Curial staff on what he calls the science of sainthood. I began by asking him, though, to define exactly what is a saint. Saints are the people in heaven, David. <laughs> the, the only people in heaven are saints, and uh, that is the calling for each one of us. It's the goal of life. It's really when you strip everything else down, what else is there? Uh, a saint is someone who has absolutely conformed themselves to Jesus Christ, which is something we don't really think of the, the Christian life in terms of that very often. We think of it as, uh, you know, we, we go to mass, we say our prayers, we get the confession every now and then we try to be good, etc. But really, at the end of the day, what sainthood is all about is, is confirmation, it's conforming ourselves to the divine image of God and reacquiring that likeness to God that we had back in the Garden of Eden before Adam and Eve lost it through sin. So we're trying to overcome those obstacles, grow in sanctity, and be just like Jesus Christ. As St. Paul says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. That's what a saint is. That's the what, to take a very kind of utilitarian, postmodern <laughs> modern perspective. Why? What? What's the benefit? If somebody's listening to this and you're saying you should become a saint, and 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 obviously the promise of uh, heaven is there, which is not insignificant, uh, but in this life as well, why should somebody give over their life to pursuing sainthood? Because you're not going to find happiness anywhere else. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, I think we all know from human experience that there is absolutely nothing in this world that will supply any kind of lasting satisfaction. We, we, why do we buy more clothes? Why do we buy new cars? I mean, other than the fact that they break down, why do we buy new of anything? I think it was Dietrich von Hildebrand, the, the 20th century philosopher who talked about how buying new things is trying to distract ourselves from death. Uh, and, and this is what we're constantly trying to do is distract ourselves from, uh, from our own demise. And we're, we're constantly trying to fill ourselves up with this, that, or the other. And yet there's this small voice inside of us that's always saying, look, you know, give me something more because the things you're giving me just aren't working for me. They're not filling up this hole that I have inside of myself. That's what becoming a saint does. That's what the Catholic life is all about. I always kind of uh, paraphrase St. Augustine and say that there's a Catholic-shaped hole inside of every one of us that the church itself is the only thing that can fill. Uh, because the church gives us our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So it's not just about happiness for the, you know, the afterlife, for all eternity and a bliss with our Lord. It's about achieving some uh, level of peace uh, in this world to the level which we can outside of full union with Jesus Christ. So it's the only way you're going to be happy. So if that's the what and, and, and the why, uh, what's the how? How do we become students? <laughs> well, it's, it's, uh, it's complicated and it's not. Uh, really, we, we kind of touched on it already, David, when we talked about conforming ourselves to, to Jesus Christ. And, and on one hand, you're like, okay, I just have to be just you know, like Jesus. And the, the question as to how, uh, 
that has consumed, you know, countless books and podcasts and all the rest of it. Uh, what I have discovered in, in my own life, what really kind of transformed everything, aside from my own conversion to Catholicism, because I didn't grow up in this faith, and I found that the, the Catholic Church just made so much sense, and it brought all the pieces kind of of the spiritual life and of sacred scripture and all that together into a beautiful mosaic uh, that I knew was the truth, and I had to conform myself to it and give myself uh, over to it obediently, and it changed everything. But even beyond that, deep within the tradition of the church, I discovered that there is a path laid out for us to get there. And it's not just about going to mass. It's not just about saying your prayers. It's not just about going to confession. Obviously, the sacraments are central to everything because they're the avenues that give us grace. But the sacraments uh, that are separated from a deep life of, of prayer are just not going to do you much good uh, because the sacraments will give you all the grace in the in the world. It's just that we put up so many roadblocks to them in our own lives. And the deep life of prayer and interior life, a relationship with the Lord is what gets those barriers out of the way. So that the grace that's in those sacraments can have their impact upon us. So it's really prayer and the sacraments. We get to them early and often. And the question a lot of people have though is, you know, what does a prayer life look like? What does a spiritual life uh, look like? And that's where it kind of gets a little not complicated, but there's a lot more to it than people realize. Okay, let's try that one then. What does the what should the <laughs> prayer life of somebody who's seriously trying to pursue sanctity look like? Feel like? Yeah, you know, uh, there are three modes or states of of prayer in traditional Catholicism. There's vocal, meditative, and contemplative prayer. We all know what vocal prayer is. We we do it all the time. Meditative prayer to me is the key. And if there is one thing I could get, you know, more Catholics to do, it would be enter into a real life of meditative prayer. Uh, St. Alphonsus Liguori says that, you know, if you don't have a, a regular life of meditative prayer, you don't need demons to carry yourself to carry you to hell. You carry yourself there in your own hands. This is something we have to be doing on a daily basis. And the reason why is because this is what you're made for. Uh, we are made for relationship with God. We are destined toward e eternal union with him, but that union is not something that starts later. It's something that starts right now. So meditative prayer really in many, many ways is the key to the spiritual life. Okay, so let's do what, how does one, if so, right? Somebody's listening to this, I'm listening to this and you're saying meditative prayer. How, how do we do that? I want to start doing it today. I want to start doing it tomorrow. Let's start doing it today. Um, yeah. what, what do I do? What do I need? Where do I go? It, all meditative prayer is, and there's so much confusion on this in the church because we, have, we get so confused with Eastern religions and all the rest of it. This is all it is. It's attentive reflection on our Lord that's aided by some kind of a spiritual uh, input. So it's really just an interior conversation with God that we use some kind of physical device or something to help initiate that conversation. So for example, a book, uh, you get a saint book, you get sacred scripture, uh, you start reading the passage slowly, uh, and you wait for something in the, 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 on the page to jump off of you and it starts this interior dialogue. That's really all it is. Now, as far as the, the kind of the basic steps, because we're human and we deal with distractions and all the rest of those kinds of things, what you do is you first find the right time and place, right? So quiet time. Jesus would get up in the middle of the night to go talk to his father. So it has to be quiet. You recollect yourself interiorly. So you kind of quiet yourself down. You put yourself in the moment. You realize you are with your king. 
And you can do this by, um, you know, just repeating the name of Jesus, you know, a few times over and over, take a few deep breaths, calm your body down, calm your interior life down. And then you enter into that meditation. You start reading that passage. And as I said, you go slowly. And when something jumps off the page, the Lord speaks to you through it. And he will, because he wants to be in conversation with you. You pause and you enter into that dialogue with the Lord. Maybe he shows you something that you need to change in your life or someone you need to apologize to or whatever it might be, some vice you need to deal with in your life. And then it ends always with resolution uh, because Prayer is not just a conversation we have with God. It is meant to bring about change in our life. So it always ends in some kind of action or resolution to make amends or to change something in our lives as the Lord is telling us. That's really all meditative prayer is. It's this interior relationship and conversation that we have with the Lord. And I will say this, David, that people have got to understand that when St. Paul says we're supposed to pray constantly, you can only get to a state of an interior recollection and relationship with the Lord if you will set a time aside specific times on a daily basis to enter into this relationship with the Lord. Because if you don't, if you don't make that decision, that act of the will and say, I'm going to enter into this conversation with the Lord regularly, you won't do it because that's just human nature. It will get tossed off of your to-do list when you get busy. We have to set aside time for conversation with the Lord. Well, let's take a case study then. For example, Matthew Leonard uh, <laughs> of Ohio. Uh -oh. <laughs> um, what, what does Matthew Leonard's day look like in terms of um, putting this into practice? You're, a, you're, a, you're married, you're a family man, you have children, you uh, have a busy career. So just, just tell us, how do you structure your day to ensure that prayer, and, and especially meditative prayer, has that, that primacy? It starts uh, in the early morning. So the saints will say that all things being equal, the best time to enter into meditative prayer is early in the morning, if your schedule allows that. Why? Well, because that's, uh, that's when you're less distracted. You don't have all the things floating around inside of your head. So I get up very early in the morning, before my wife and kids, and I spend my hour in prayer uh, with the Lord. And that consists of, and it varies at various times, uh, but it generally consists of meditative prayer and also uh, my daily rosary. And so I'll spend that time with the Lord. I end up taking my kids to school. I drop them off when adoration chapels were over. Sometimes I would pop into an adoration chapel and just spend a little bit of time with Jesus. But then I also go to daily mass, which is an essential part. If it's available to you, that's an essential part of your life. Why? Because it's where, that, that's what all of your prayer is preparation for. It's a divine encounter with God in the Eucharist. That's what prayer prepares us for. So we go to daily mass. And then uh, at noon, I will pray in Angelus. And uh, it only takes a couple of minutes, but it's just kind of a way to reset and get back into conversation with the Lord. And then in the evening, uh, oftentimes I will do evening prayer and then I close with a, a short examination of conscience before I go to bed. It, to someone who's uninitiated, it sounds like a ton, uh, but it, to be honest, it, it's become such a daily part of my life that I notice very 
easily when I don't do it because I kind of go off the rails, so to speak. I can tell when I don't spend time in meditative prayer, I lose my temper more quickly. My patience goes out the window. I need this time. We need this time to commune with our Lord because that's where our strength comes from. Not just again for eternity, but for dealing with the day-to-day -day struggles in life. Now, I heard you put forward this uh, vision for this plan of life um, just, was it two weeks ago? Was it last week? Time flies when you're having saintly fun. Um, but two weeks ago, when you you very um, uh, helpfully, graciously, generously um, led a, a, a retreat for the, the curial staff of the Diocese of Lansing. Uh, and we all took time away at the retreat center, all the departments, uh, the finance department, the, the lawyer, the communications department, in order to, to try and really school ourselves in uh, the science of sainthood, which is a phrase that you used, and to bring ourselves obviously closer to, to Christ, which is the beginning, end, and middle of everything that we, we do, obviously, as a courier. Um, but um, you mentioned during the day, you, you peppered your, your meditations with references to many of the spiritual masters of the past 2,000 years. Um, for those who weren't there, um, who are these spiritual masters that, that we can go to, that we can learn from, that we can read in terms of learning about these, these well-trammeled uh, paths towards holiness, towards sanctity? Obviously, they're the giants of the faith that you know, people have heard of, but maybe have never read. I mean, you're talking about uh, St. Augustine, for example. I mean, that's where I got the whole term for my series, The Science of Sainthood. It comes from St. Augustine. I didn't make it up. Uh, I think that today that people kind of resonate uh, a little more easily sometimes with people like St. Teresa of Avila. Uh, she has a very kind of clear way that she describes our growth in the, the spiritual life in her classic, The Interior Castle. I would also recommend St. John of the Cross, uh, some of his writings. He's a little deeper, a little more intense than St. Teresa of Avila. And so I would say you'd, you'd want to start somewhere else first, but maybe graduate to John of the Cross. Uh, and as far as the more modern kind of uh, like 20th century writers and such, the kind of guys that I would point people to would be uh, Dom Chatard, who wrote The Soul of the, the Apostolate. I would point to Father Garagou Lagrange, who wrote Three Ages, The Interior Life. Um, goodness, I have stacks of books here right next to me, David. Uh, I can start. What, what would you say, the, in terms of those books, in terms of those masters, what's the commonality? What are they all saying with their different ways? But what essentially are they all saying? Um, what, what's common to, to, to all of them in terms of that path to holiness? That's a great question, because what is common to all of them is the fact that you and I are made for divine life, that we are literally made to be deified. And this is something that is deep within Catholic tradition. It's not something that's really part of our vernacular as Catholics. We don't talk about deification as such. It's right out of sacred scripture in 2 Peter 1, 4, where we become partakers of the divine nature of God. And what you'll find when you read through a lot of these spiritual authors, and this is how I lay out the science of sainthood as well, 
you start with the end goal. Like when you're a kid in school, they always showed you what the prize was that you were going to go sell all the magazines for or whatever, right? But you're like, I want that, you know? Well, the I want that of the Catholic life is divinity, is deification. I mean, this is this is the, the, the greatest offer that any of us are ever going to have. And so when you lay that out and you say, my end goal is not just to go to some cool place called heaven. It's actually to participate in the divine nature of God. You're like, how do I get there? So that's how they all start out. And then they all lay out the path, the, the systematic path in their own way as to how we achieve this divine life. But that is the underlying basis of everything. Oh, throw your softball here. But what, what's the relationship? And what's the relationship between the, the interior life and activity? <laughs> yeah. I, could, I could make the ball even softer and slower. Which, which comes first? <laughs> this is something I think that particularly, uh, you know, Americans have trouble with because as I told the chancery staff, you know, we're, we're, we're always active. We are, we want to get it done and get it out and get going. I mean, i I suffer from this malady as well. And it's a good thing in a lot of ways, right? We have to do things. We have to be active. But the spiritual authors, and this is really kind of the heart and soul of the, one of the books that I mentioned, Dom Shatar's The Soul of the Apostolate, is that we're supposed to be active contemplatives. And so everything that we do in life, all of our activity is supposed to be founded on our interior life. So prayer comes first, relationship with the Lord comes first. And then all of our activity is supposed to flow out of that. And it's not just true in our apostolic life. It's true in every aspect of our life. This is one of the reasons why the saints say, pray first, spend your time with God first, because it informs and empowers and graces every other part of your day. And this is true for everything that we do. We, we oftentimes forget that we are a union of body and soul. You know, we are made to go together. I have an interior life and an exterior life, body and spirit. And so we have to, we have to, First, feed the soul so that it can animate the activity of the body and do what it is that the Lord wants us to do. So it's always founded on the interior life, everything. And in terms of that growth in interior life, spoken about meditative prayer, what role does self-denial and in particular fasting play in, in, in the works of those spiritual masters? Where do they see fasting, self-denial and in particular fasting fitting into that, that plan of life? Yeah, you can't talk about the spiritual life without talking about suffering and self-denial in some way, shape, or form. And it's not that the things in this world are bad. Uh, the things in this world are good. God created everything good back in the Garden of Eden. What we do when we enter into voluntary penance or we take the sufferings of this world and we offer them back to the Lord, what we're doing, especially with voluntary penance, is we are sacrificing something that's good for something that's better. We are sacrificing the temporal for the eternal. And what we're doing is showing the Lord, even these good things are not worth the same thing to me that you are. So they're good in and of themselves, but I'm willing to sacrifice them for my relationship with you. So we're detaching ourselves from uh, this life. And St. Gregory of Nyssa, I believe, talks about this, how there's this kind of reverse um, gravitational pull almost where the more you detach yourself from the things of this earth, the more 
obviously the more easily you will rocket toward God. But even as you continue to detach yourself, it's like the gravitational pull of God draws you faster and faster and faster and faster. So there's almost an acceleration process in the spiritual life. And I think an underlying thing that a lot of Catholics miss is that the suffering that we're always talking about in Catholicism isn't supposed to be something that is um, miserable. It's really a sacrifice of joy. This is what James says right off the book, uh, right off the top in his book, you know, count it all joy when you experience various trials and suffering. St. Paul obviously talks a ton about uh, suffering as well and being joyful and, and rejoicing in the midst of that. The reason why they can be joyful in the midst of their suffering is because as love grows, suffering disappears. So the more your love for Jesus Christ grows, the less you see those trials and tribulations in life as something to be avoided. They are sacrifices driven by love, just like we sacrifice for our spouses and our children and, and people we love. And we do it joyfully because it's an act of love. The same thing applies to our relationship with the Lord. So when we're giving things up and sacrificing, it's not misery. It might hurt on a physical level, right? I want that ho-ho, you know, I want that cupcake or whatever. But at the same time, it's a sacrifice of love because you know it's drawing you closer to Jesus Christ. You want to do it. And so you continue to do it. And the more you do it, it's just like everything else in life, David. The more you do it, the easier it becomes because as you are sacrificing things, your vision of God is actually, you're, you're moving up the divine ladder. You're getting closer to the Lord. The mist is clearing, so to speak. And you're seeing more and more clearly that divine end for which you are made. And so you're even more willing then to give up the things of this earth in order to attain relationship with our Lord. Okay, I think this is a final question. This is where you can shamelessly promote uh, all your wonderful uh, apostolic <laughs> endeavors. <laughs> if people want to find out more, Matthew, if they've listened to, to this call to sanctity uh, and the science of sainthood, where can they find out more? Go to scienceofsainthood.com. In fact, uh, I have a, people can jump into the science of sainthood, which is more than a hundred professional video lessons that kind of systematically lay out the, the path of the spiritual life and how we attend the, uh, attain the end for which we were made, starting with the mystical life, what it is. What are the seven deadly sins? What is meditative prayer? What's contemplative prayer? How do all of these pieces of the spiritual life come together? So you can jump in and see about I mean, more than 20 of those lessons absolutely free. I mean, no credit card, no nothing. You just jump in and you can check it out at scienceofsainthood.com. Or uh, if you're just listening to this, you can just text the word saint uh, to the number 66866. Saint to 66866, and it does the same thing. Good promotion. Um... So final, final thing. We actually, we're, we're starting to work through the science of sainthood today as a curial staff uh, in, that's just about midday. So in an hour, we're, we're, we're start, every Thursday, we're going to start working through uh, between one and two. We're giving up our lunch, denial like that. Ah, that nice, nice. In order to, 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 to try and um, better pursue uh, sanctity. So it seems like a worthwhile cause. Um, okay, why don't we end with a prayer? And I'm just thinking, actually, you know, you're, you're in terms of there's a lot there for people to take in, meditative prayer, if people aren't used to that, that's something to take on board. And maybe for some, the rosary, that could be, you know. Uh, and one other thing you mentioned was the the Angelus. So given it, I see it's midday. When this goes out, it won't be midday. But uh, why don't we say the Angelus so people can hear the Angelus and, 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 and get an ear for it? And, uh, and hopefully many good things will come from that. Because as you say, sorry, you're the man doing the talking here, but 
you know, it's just, it's, it's just in order to recentering the, the day at midday, the high point of the day, just to remember the high point of history, the incarnation. Um, and I'm going to find out at this point that you say it in Latin and I say it in English. So, <laughs> okay. no, I say it in English. You say it in English. Okay, well, if you lead, I'll follow. Okay. <laughs> sure. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And the angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived by the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it done unto me according to thy word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the word became flesh. And dwelt amongst us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God. That we may be worthy of the promises of Christ. Pour forth, we beseech thee, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we, to the incarnation of Christ thy Son, was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection through this same Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Matthew Leonard, thank you very much. David, it was a pleasure. God bless you.